Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect co worker of yours home and home we're going to talk about a lot of villains today on home and home sports villains and a lot of guys fit that category right now some embrace it some do not Joel Embiid Philadelphia 76ers superstar seems to be suddenly shifting and embracing the role of villain in the city of Philadelphia and what a performance he had last night maybe it works for Embiid the Houston Astros are the villains of all of professional sports right now. And it looks like we now have a face of the villains. Unfortunately, he's no longer a Houston Astro because it sounds like from some excellent reporting from Ken Rosenthal, The Athletic, that Carlos Beltran was the face, was the brains of the operation of the sign-stealing scandal. So we'll get into the villainous aspects of the Astros. And will Tom Brady be a villain if, in fact, he leaves New England because our good friend Christian Fourier uh, has some news that he, he thinks Brady is as good as gone. But we start with my villain this morning and why it felt like getting kicked in the nuts the first second I rolled out of bed today. And I got to admit, I went from hurt to angry to suddenly a little bit hopeful. I'll get to the hopeful in just a minute. Get out of bed, check Twitter. Trending is Mel Tucker, University of Colorado head football coach. He's been there all of one season, a five and seven season in which Colorado hired him from Georgia, giving him the opportunity of a lifetime. And Coach Tuck was all in on Colorado and sold everybody. The boosters, the fans, the players, the students, the recruits, he was all in on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I talked to the University of Colorado AD, who was there for the interview at Tucker's home, who filled his home with Colorado gear and sold the school on how he was committed to them, on how excited he was for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And just like that, Coach Tucker is freaking gone. He leaves Colorado, and maybe you aren't Colorado fans out there, but most of you can relate because your school probably tends to be more of the have-nots than the haves because there are only 20, maybe 25 haves, and most of them come in the SEC and the Big Ten and the Northeast, and everybody else is the have-nots. And when you're the have-nots, your coaches can leave at any given second. So Michigan State, after being turned down by everybody, four different candidates, including Mel Tucker, circled back to Mel Tucker. And after the first approach by Michigan State, Mel Tucker tweeted this. While I am flattered to be considered for the head coaching job at Michigan State, I am committed to CU Buffs football for Hashtag the build of our program. It's great athletes, coaches, and supporters. Hashtag unfinished business. 
What Coach Tuck, who I met this past season, forgot to tweet is that I am committed up into a certain dollar figure. And Michigan State gave him that dollar figure. According to reports, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic, they are doubling his salary from the University of Colorado. And so he leaves the greatest recruiting class Colorado has seen in years, seventh best in the Pac-12. Doesn't sound great for, for Colorado, it is. Leaves that program screwed, devastated. Alums like me, fans, students, and most importantly, the, the 30 or so commitments that he got, that he convinced to come to Colorado to build this program. This sucks. I trusted this, this guy. These recruits trusted this guy. Their parents trusted this guy. And I just talked to one of those parents just last week. His son played three years in the Ivy League and was convinced by Coach Tucker to use that one remaining year of eligibility to go to Colorado and help him build the defense that he wants. Now what? Now that guy probably doesn't have a chance of playing because it's an entirely new staff coming in, someone who hadn't committed to him. Look, I understand it's the almighty buck, but this sucks, Ross. This sucks for Colorado, and it sucks for all of college athletics that these kids have committed to a university and that a guy can leave after one year. Now, it's only a $3 million buyout, which apparently ain't much for Michigan State. It ought to be $10 million buyouts for every major college coach after a year or two. To leave a program after one year, I don't care about the dollars and cents. This just flat out sucks for college athletics. All right, so a couple of things. Number one, would it make that much of a difference to you if he did it after his second year? It would feel a little less devastating, um, but still I would be furious. I would be kicked in the nuts. I would be down. I would be blue. I wouldn't be as angry, but I would still probably have this same visceral reaction. Yes. Right. The only reason why I mentioned that is because I would argue that if he was going to do this, it's better that he does it now as opposed to bringing in a whole other class of kids another year. You know what I mean? Like there's always going to be a year of kids. Like if he, let, let's assume coach Tucker was going to leave at some point um, for $5.4 million, which by the way, uh, I might need to be coach Tucker. If coach Tucker's are getting $5.4 million these days, but uh, let's assume he was always going to leave, which I don't know that it's the case, but let's just say that. Yeah. I would argue that it's better that he leaves now before he gets too entrenched in the Colorado community, brings in a second recruiting class or third, as the case may be, has those guys invest a year with him, and so that there's a whole group of 60 young men that have come there for him. I would argue that he's he's probably better off doing it this way. I can remember, you know, one of the reasons why Bill O'Brien didn't leave Penn State after a year was because he really didn't want to be a one-and-done guy. But then he just left after the second year. And so all of those kids that committed to him and played for him as true freshmen, they're like, okay, so you, you stayed for one season? It almost would have been better off if he had been a one-and-done guy 
and he had left rather than convincing all those kids to go there and then leaving. So I understand your perspective on that, Dave, but I would say there's never a good time. It's kind of like the Philip Rivers, you know, it, 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 there's never really a good time. It's never really good. So I don't care that much about one and done versus two. Uh, other thoughts I have. Um, yep. Secondly, correct me if I'm wrong, but you really liked Coach Tuck as a guy, but you weren't really sold on him as a head coach and being the future of Colorado football anyway, right? Well, look, I did meet him, and I, I, he's a guy that he can sell you, man. I mean, the energy, the enthusiasm that he brings, and he seems like such a genuine nice guy. Um, little behind-the-scenes story, went out to a college football game. A friend said, hey, why don't you text Coach Tuck and see if you can come down on the sideline. I said, I'm, I'm not important. Uh, Coach Tuck isn't going to text me back. Well, I had not landed on the ground for five minutes before I'd received a, a text from Coach Tucker, come down to the sideline, love to meet you, and was blown away by this guy. So I understand how he put together such an incredible recruiting class. But the games I watched, including that one in person, I was really surprised how University of Colorado was beat in the exact way that Coach Tucker was supposed to reverse. They were defensively, they were just very, very weak, and they got pushed around and punched in the face, um, out physical. They didn't have any discipline. The things Coach Tucker was supposed to bring to Colorado was discipline, physical toughness, and defense. And their two games against the two teams that played in the Pac-12 championship, Utah and Oregon, they were outscored, dude, but 90 to 18. But I try not to judge programs too quickly because those weren't his guys. A coach needs a couple of years to really get his type of guys into the program and coaching them up the way that he might have. Now, no, I wasn't entirely convinced, but I come to you this morning as a guy who's just whose program felt like it had some momentum was was beginning to maybe turn things around. And now I think this is just a four or a five-year setback because I'm guessing you have half, if not more, of the commitments bail the same way the coach did. And, and that also brings in the transfer rules, which suck for, uh, for the college landscape. I just think, in part, I blame my school for not having an elevator-type buyout that, that shrinks each year. 10 million after one year, 8 million after two years, 6 million after three years. Uh, that's the way programs ought to do it, is certainly if you're in a major conference like Pac 12. But look, most of us are have nots in college football. And so we're all one offer away from our coach just bailing, adiosing. Yeah, so um, I think you're right, Dave. I'm not sure the exact rule, but. I think every one of these 2020 signees and frankly, any player on the team, I believe if your head coach leaves, you should be able to transfer immediately without penalty if you so choose. Because as you know, I have a recruiting business, Go Big Recruiting. I go through this process with a lot of families and I always tell them, Dave, every time, commit to the school not the coach, the school, not the coach. Guess what? They almost always go to the coaches that they like the most. It's just human nature. 
you feel like you're picking people as opposed to an institution. So they should be able to get one. Like if your coach transfers, and I'm saying if it's the head coach or your position coach, if your head coach leaves or position coach leaves, you should be able to transfer like that. Because you pick that school in large part based on him. If he's allowed to leave whenever he wants, you should be able to leave whenever you want. So that's number one. So I'm with you in terms of the commitments to that school, even though, as I tell them, they shouldn't have gone there for Coach Tucker. They should have gone there for the program. Secondly, Dave, let's be honest, okay? Now, you're from Colorado. You went to Colorado. So it's a little bit different for you. But... He's from Cleveland. His parents, his brother, they live in Ohio. East Lansing, Michigan, not far from Ohio. He's coached at Ohio State. He's coached at Michigan State. These are his roots. This is where he's from. It's closer to family. He gets double the money and double the amount of money for his assistant coaches to be able to bring in some real deal assistant coaches. Now, be honest, Dave, you've gotten screwed by several networks. We know that. That's how coaching works as well. Coach Tucker probably should have gotten other opportunities earlier. He didn't. I was with him with the Cleveland Browns, I believe, for a year. Like, he knows how it works. What would you do, Dave? If you were in his shoes, what would you have done? Right. I mean, that is the massive monster hypothetical that is impossible for someone like me to answer. Cause for me, weighing 2.5 million versus 5 million, it's just impossible for me to fathom. But if, if I was, I mean, look, it's, it's easy for me to say, because I, I, I will never be in a similar situation to this. And I've said this before, like if I'm weighing, and I said this about D'Antonio, right? Like, so this is consistent for me when D'Antonio, who was the prior Michigan state head football coach took that massive $4 million bonus payment and said, I'm going to stick around until I get that payment and then bail. What I said in the immediate aftermath is I would make a very different decision if I were working for a television network, if I were working for a massive corporation like an Amazon or like a Netflix, I would make a very different decision if I was committing to an educational institution and to kids and to parents. So look, you can say I'm full of shit. That's fine. If I committed to a university and those kids and those parents and they gave me the once in a lifetime opportunity and paid me $2.5 million a year to do it, I stand before you and say I would stick. I would honor my commitments. I would certainly not get on Twitter with a bunch of bullshit about I am committed to CU Bubs football for the build of our program because he was only committed until the salary was doubled. Yeah, I mean... I I hear you. Let me ask you this, though, too, because I got another question for you on this. Colorado used to be the haves. When did that change? Like, Colorado used to be a top 10, top 20 program. Colorado was a have. So it's almost hard to, like, have this, oh, poor Colorado, have not. They were a have. They, They blew it somehow, some way. What was it? Well, it wasn't overnight. It was several, like, 
when when Coach McCartney, who who won the last national title, shared national title, some of you might point out, what, once he left, I think what he was doing was rather fluky. I mean, first off, uh, inside baseball, Coach McCartney was going into Compton, California, uh, had a really incredible program built, but built off the backs of some guys that may or may not have deserved to be in college at all. This is a long story, but guys with gang affiliations. Um, and it was a terrific run for Colorado, but it was several bad coaching hires in a row that just kind of over the years, they slipped and slipped and slipped. And then they were falling towards the bottom of the Big 12. The Pac-12 was thought to be a brilliant move turned out to be a bad move for the program because they got more money, but they couldn't recruit in the state of California. Now, there is some good news, and that's why my mood has turned a little bit. And maybe it's not news, but at least a theory from our friends at Pro Football Talk that the logical choice to replace Mel Tucker is very easy, and it could be immediate, and one would think he would be allowed to leave Immediately is Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator, Kansas City Chiefs. One would think that he went to Colorado. He was on that national title team. Andy Reid wants him to have an opportunity. He continually gets denied those opportunities at the NFL level. So this might be the golden opportunity for Bieniemy, for Colorado, and for all those recruits. I think would stick if they got a name like Biennemi, the offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So that's why my mood is kind of like the hair of the dog when you're really hung over and you might have a Bloody Mary or another beer or whatever it is, makes you feel a little bit better. I actually feel Eric Biennemi would, would completely erase my pain if that's to happen. I think he is a much better hire um, for the reputation of the university than would be Mel Tucker Stang. All right, so first of all, what the hell is hair of the dog? What, oh, you've what never does ha- that even mean? So when you're really hungover, people say, just have a little hair of the dog. And that means have another drink. Have a little more alcohol. Like some people, when they're really hungover, I can't believe you've never had the hair of the dog. So it's some people have a beer the next day. Some people have a screwdriver. For me, obviously, it's a Bloody Mary. Have a little more alcohol and it makes you feel a little bit better. Now, part of that is that it kind of continues the buzz instead of it wearing off, but I find it works. One of the one of the millennials, Jordan Cohn, says it doesn't work at all. I disagree. You've never had hair of the dog? Well, I've, I've tried that before. Uh, it doesn't really work for me, number one. Number two, um, I've never had it called hair of the dog. Secondly, I have some bad news for you, bro. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if Bienemy went to Colorado. He Why? is, I think, because he's the number one candidate for an NFL head coaching job next year, and I believe that he'll get one. There is such an uproar about the Rooney Rule right now. They are totally looking to revamp it, start over. Who knows how big the coaching hiring cycle will or won't be next year, although there were several coaches retained this year, like Doug Marone, that surprised me. But I got to think, literally, out of any possible candidate that's available, Eric Bieniemy is number one. 
I personally would be surprised if he talk if he took to use your words a have not college job in the Pac-12 when he is 10 months, 11 months away from getting an NFL head coaching job. To the XFL and what is ironically what might be the most popular player in the XFL, at least if you look at Instagram followers, there he is, Marquette King and his 335,000 Instagram followers. What's up, brother? We we uh, we mixed up time zones, apparently, so you thought we were on Central Time, we're on Eastern Time. Good to have you on the show, St. Louis Battlehawks punter. Now, I got to clear something up. When you were in the NFL, you did several interviews that I've watched on YouTube as Marquette King. They called mm-hmm. you Marquette King on broadcast for several years, and then I watch you on IG as Marquette King. Explain. What's your name, bro? It, it, it depends on the day, man. If I'm if I'm acting a little different and where I don't know if it, if I'm not having my best day, sometimes it's Marquette, and if I'm being normal, it's Marquette. So it depends on how you feel. All right. So what I feel, Marquette, Marquette, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's weird that you're not in the NFL right now. Why are you not in the NFL? Uh, I mean, it's, de- it's definitely interesting, but as I, as I take the time to see what's going on in my life, throughout my life, um, uh, me being in this situation has uh, allowed me to be where I can have other things in my life pop off, such as music and acting, and um, set myself up for the future, even though I still can punt. So... I kind of uh, look at everything that's not working out the way I physically wanted it to uh, as a blessing. So I try to find a positive in it. But I think uh, with the XFL, I think it's going to put me in a position to better myself as a player, uh, focus on doing a lot of the things I didn't do when I was in the NFL to make myself better. Uh, as far as more stretching, more drills, even though I did a lot of drills, like, I mean, my 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 work ethic is – it's uncomparable, I feel like, um, when it comes to being the best at what I can do. All right. So do you feel like the dancing, the showmanship after you had good punts, your personality, the Instagram, do you feel like your personality and brand is why you're not in the NFL as opposed to just your punting? Uh, I think, I don't know. It, it depends. Um, I feel like, honestly, a lot of people can be misunderstood just because people try to judge that person's character based off of social media, TV, what they see from a distance. So, I mean, maybe you never know. But I feel like um, once a coach gets an opportunity to sit down and just have lunch with me and get to know who I am, besides judging me off of what I am from a distance, uh, I think I would totally be understood a lot more. But um, I don't know. You, you just never know. But at the same time, I feel like God's got a plan, and his plan was for me to be in the XFL. And, shoot, I'd definitely be back in the NFL for sure because, like I said, I work, I work too hard to not be. Talking to Marquette, Marquette King, St. Louis Battlehawks punter of the XFL, a second-team All-Pro with the Raiders in 2016. And Marquette, your career average is 46.7 yards in the NFL. That would have been 10th, top 10 in the league this past season. I don't understand um, why. Just to clarify, why do you believe you are not in the NFL today? The numbers are there, man. I don't know. I, I honestly, 
that's a question that I uh, don't understand. And I remember at one point I tried to understand why I'm not, I wasn't in the NFL at the time. And I mean, like I said, it's uh, it's a question that I can't answer, honestly. Um, I mean, but I'm thankful for the whole situation because like I said, it, it just definitely fueled my other things like my music and the acting. So it, it gave me a chance to work on all the other stuff too and still work on punting. So, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm having so much more fun in the XFL too, but I mean, I'm sure when I get back in the NFL, it'll be fun, but everything happens for a reason, man. So I'm just enjoying the ride. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, Marquette. Are, are you liking the XFL so far? It's definitely different. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, getting a chance to be around other players that are kind of going through the same thing that I'm going through. Uh, it's, it's super cool to be around people that are – it's kind of like when you uh, – maybe when you feel uncomfortable or you feel sick and uh, knowing that other people have the same issue that you have, you kind of feel better. So it's kind of cool being around a lot of people, like I'm running back and – uh, some of the folks on defense, like hearing their stories of what they're going through, like it's it's super cool. And it's like, man, well, I'm not the only one in this situation, but what can you do? You just make the best out of it. All right. Talking to Marquette King punter for the St. Louis Battlehawks. A lot of viral moments from week one of the XFL. <laughs> None more so than your 63-yard punt. And Pat McAfee chimed in <laughs> on that punt and what happened to it inside the five-yard line. Let's listen to that really quickly, and I want to get your reaction. And he's punted the ball way too many times if you're St. Louis. I concur. This is another laser. I concur, but whenever the wide receivers drop balls, you need a punter to save you with a perfect – what is he doing? What? 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 what, what? <laughs> hey, Pat. Pat almost what? ran out there and, and, and downed it himself. <laughs> oh. That was the perfect – just stay off the ball. Just don't even touch it. Marquette just hit a perfect punt. <laughs> just don't even touch it, buddy. Uh, wow, and it went right through the, the wickets on Gerard Hurd. The flag on the play. Incredible effort on a special teams play there. Ends up backfiring a little bit. What was going through your mind? I thought he touched it, so I tried to get on the ball before no. he got on the ball, and then we went in the end zone. Okay, Joey, you're 100% right. I can respect the hell out of that. All right, so those of you that couldn't see what happened, 63-yard punt, you it was a beauty. I mean, it was a dime that dropped at the one, and your teammate touches it into the end zone for a touchback. What would you say to your teammate there? I didn't I didn't say anything to him. I, <laughs> me and uh, the kicker, Taylor Russellino, we just started laughing. Like, Pat gave us this look like, hey, man. But um, I ain't say nothing to him, man. We all make mistakes. Um, so, I mean, like, I probably didn't hit my best punts at the beginning. Even though those XFL balls are hard to hit, I still didn't. I could have did better in the first half of the game. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I just look at stuff like that. Like, we all make mistakes. So, I mean, and I can definitely do that on command at any other time. So, and I'm planning on doing it this week against Houston. Marquette, what do you think of the the rules about the touchbacks or not being able to do the, the coffin corner punts? Man, you know, it's, it was tough for me because I'm like, damn, man, it's my game. Like, I pin people deep, like, but I can't pin them now. Like, I got to I gotta base it off of luck or hope the ball just takes the right bounce so it doesn't go out of bounds or go in the end zone. So it's like my, my natural instinct is to, like, press and, and see how far my limits can go as far as putting the ball inside the 10-yard line, but I got to play it safe. So, like, it's almost like a, a bad punt or a shank is actually really good in this league. 
because <laughs> sometimes it, it a bad punt ends up turning out to be better. Interesting. All right. So tell us, generally speaking, how different is life in the XFL compared to the NFL? Um, what really stands out as the most notable differences from a player's perspective, other than the obvious, the salary? Yeah, uh, the fact that I got to walk a mile in the snow in the mornings and the evenings when I'm done. Uh, <laughs> what else? I uh, the the scheduling is definitely um, it's about the same. We hear about all day, just about. Um, uh, no, they don't have a. They try to find people that understand the game of special teams. Um, I don't have a kicking coach, so that's that's also a plus right there because. Sometimes you do have uh, coaches that try to coach you up with punting and kicking that's never did it before, and it kind of starts messing with you mentally. Uh, so that's cool. Like They kind of like let me do my thing on my own and just get do whatever I have to do to get myself better. What else? Uh, yeah, you just got to it's, – it's similar to the NFL, but, like, uh, I guess they ask for a little bit more. Like it, It's kind of like I get treated like I'm in college a little bit too. All right, Marquette, last one, man. So I, I played seven years and for five different teams, never had a punter that looked anything like you, bro. Not anything <laughs> like you. The hair, the earring, like the whole deal. So I got to ask, how many times when you were in the league, how many times when you were in the league and now, when some kid came up to you for your autograph, did they think you were a receiver or a DB and have no idea you were the punter? Uh, it happened a lot, man. It definitely happens a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I, a lot of people, I don't know, I've been a pro, I got a pro when we were in Dallas, but it definitely happens a lot. Sometimes uh, when I was in Oakland, some of the new people would come in and they'd be like, do y'all know what position he plays? Like, what position do you think he plays? Receiver, safety, like strong punter. Strong safety, strong punter, same thing. <laughs> Marquette King with us, punter for the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL. You must be working on some new moves, man. Give us the new moves that you might put on display this weekend against Houston. We need to see some of that flashy flair. I know, man. I, I got to figure it out. I forgot the name of this team. It's the Houston something, like Roughnecks or something, but... I don't know. Sometimes I base it off of the things. Sometimes I base it off of another player trying to flex on the other side. Um, and I just kind of mimic what they do. Um, I don't know yet, though. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm sure I got some stuff under my sleeve. Okay, finally, you don't know the name of the Houston. They are the Roughnecks. What does your mom, what do your parents call you? Marquette or Marquette? Well, it depends on who they introduce me to. Um, if they feel like the person can't pronounce my name right, they say Marquette. And then if they feel like they can pronounce it right, they say Marquette. So, I mean, I've just turned it into like, if I'm starting to act like, act a little weird, people usually call me Marquette. And then if I'm acting normal, it's just Marquette. Sometimes they'll be like, hey, you starting to act like Marquette right now. <laughs> All right, Marquette, last question. In what league are you punting next year, XFL or NFL? And I feel for sure. I put that. I put the atmosphere. I prayed about it. Like, I mean, I I know when I have something in my mind, and I know I'm gonna get something done. 
been accomplished, it happens. And they're going to be in the NFL this year. Um, that's my goal. I, I work too hard for it. I think about it all the time, and I see it. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as I... Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. If you've missed... This fascinating few days surrounding Joel Embiid, one of the faces of the NBA and certainly the star of the 76ers, along with Ben Simmons. Here's a a piece of sound that ought to sum it up for you from WIP Sports Radio in Philly. Listen. I will say this right now at 6.15 a.m. I've about run out of patience with Joel Embiid, and I am fully ready to acknowledge his incredible skill set. Mm-hmm. But this guy is a wackadoo. You're booing me? The one guy who can play? You're going to boo me? My crowd's going to boo me? Because remember, he was the Broad Street bully. He was so, oh, I'm Philadelphia, right? Yeah. He's a phony, Joel Embiid. He is a phony. He is a phony. He, he is arrogant. It's ego. It's narcissism. I mean, this guy, he thinks he's God's gift to basketball in Philadelphia, and it's just horrible. Joel gets paid by the fans. Joel should kiss our butts. And you want to know what? If Joel wants to leave, let Joel leave. He's a petulant baby. He hasn't stepped up to the plate. He hasn't grown a pair since he's been here. And enough is enough. All it's going to take is one more thing to happen, and he's just going to say, I want out. Right? Like, he's going to say, I'm out, I'm done. Because it already feels like he's checked out. Like, that's what he's most interested in is, is, is playing games on social media. Like, you think his teammates are enjoying what's going on? That they have to answer questions about this? And be goofy, man. He ain't going away. He loves this city, man. I met the brother. He, he, he loves this city. If this is what he needs to do to get himself in the groove, get him in the groove, okay? I would prefer Embiid over a player who don't even want to shoot. I think Embiid wants to play for us. We need to let him play. Yeah, let's embrace him a little bit. Let's make sure the young man grows. But let's not stymie his growth and show some inappreciation, especially when it comes down to what Philly is about, period. We talk smack and we ball and we bully. Let him be a bully. Radio.com, Red Zone there, WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia regarding a bonkers couple of days with Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia fan base. Let's talk about it with Spike Eskin, Program Director at WIP Sports Radio and, of course, the host of Rights to Ricky Sanchez. Terrific podcast. You can check it out, Radio.com app. Spike, good to talk to you, my friend. Who's crazier, Joel Embiid or Sixers fans? 
<laughs> that's a, that's a, uh, it's neck and neck right now. I'd say it's a photo finish. <laughs> I, I, Joel Embiid is being a similar Joel Embiid to the same Joel Embiid he's always been. And I think fans are being the same fans they've always been. I think their ire is misdirected. Uh, I, I think fans, I, I understand why they're frustrated with him, but I think their, their anger is a little bit misdirected currently. That would, that would be my position on it. All right, so Spike, um, always good to talk with you, but can we start with, for people that aren't as familiar with the story, can you kind of give us the timeline of sure. how he went from being beloved to villain and now maybe back? I don't know. Yeah, so the quick timeline is the other night against Memphis, they were the, the crowd was booing Horford a little bit, who hasn't played well. He hit a jumper, and he sort of shushed the crowd, which is not really in his, his, uh, his normal behavior. It was, it was a little strange. So then the next, the next game, uh, they were booing again in the fourth quarter. The Bulls were, were winning. Embiid hit a putback dunk, also shushed the crowd, and then hit a, a big three at the end of the shot clock, shushed the crowd. I'm, I'm allowed to curse on this show, yeah? They were on the internet? Yes. Am I? Uh, and then he sort of, the camera caught him yelling, shut the fuck up, um, to, to the crowd. So he, he wasn't looking at the crowd, screaming it, but it seemed like he was sort of yelling it to them, maybe to himself. So then after the game, there is some, you know, consternation with, you know, our hosts, obviously, and, and fans about the shushing. And then he goes and posts a thing on Instagram it says it's that Harvey Dent quote about you know dying a hero or living long enough to be the villain and then Jimmy Butler comments on said Instagram post saying I know a place where villains are welcome and Joel Embiid agrees I think uh, uh, alluding to Miami um, and the picture that Embiid posted he posted two pictures one of him shushing crowd the other one of him playing against the Heat in Miami the backstory on that Embiid and Butler very close. Uh, I think Embiid was was pretty upset when when Butler when Butler left. So that and then and then we go into last night where Embiid uh, has a big game and they beat probably the favorite to win the championship, um, and everybody loves him again. And then the quotes afterwards were sort of like Embiid was saying, I, "I do believe Embiid loves it here and does love the fans like a lot more than maybe any athlete I've ever seen here." Um, said that if uh, if he can take the booing, then they can take the shushing, and uh, and he wants to win a championship, and he loves all of them. So that's the timeline. And so my question is: Are you more frustrated after last night seeing the Sixers have the ability to beat arguably the best team in the NBA and when they're healthy, or I mean, are you happier or are you more frustrated? I I think people look at how good a team can play occasionally and think that that is what they are capable of all the time. But that's the difference between being great and being good. It's just the amount of times that you can be really, really good. Just because they have the ability to be great on occasion does not mean that they have the ability to be great all the time. And I think that's the big confusion. And I don't, I don't know when we, when we lost that perspective, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, a bench player for the Sixers on a minimum deal, scored 34 points and then 30 points in consecutive games. That does not mean that he can score 30 points every game. You know, the Suns can beat the Rockets or the, I think the Suns even beat the Clippers this year. That, that there's no, again, that there's no, there's nothing to say that that means they have the ability to do it all the time. 
So I don't think, I am not personally frustrated by the Sixers' play because I don't think that there's anything surprising about how the Sixers are playing. I think they're constructed poorly. Uh, I think they, they, there's very little connective tissue within the team. I think they tried to accelerate uh, the championship window of a team whose best players are 23 and 25. And when you look through the history of the league, that doesn't really happen. There's, there's no NBA championships where the, the, best team, the best, two best players are that age because they're not leaders at that point. And they're not, they don't really know what that sacrifice is, and they're not good enough. So I am not surprised by the fact that a team that was starting three, three power forwards and a center had trouble scoring. You know, um, I, I, I'm not surprised by the fact that a team whose point guard still doesn't shoot the basketball has trouble at the end of games. That nothing about this is surprising or frustrating to me. What's frustrating to me is that they went into this season doing what they did and that they, they spent the last three years, you know, rushing something that probably didn't need to be rushed. And I think Embiid is the Instagram post was not, Embiid does not have a problem with Philadelphia fans. Embiid loves Philadelphia fans. I think Embiid's problem is that his, the one thing he's had over the last few years as he's been through injury and his friends going on and off the team and, you know, the, the general manager getting caught saying that they should trade him on Twitter, you know, all of these crazy things. The one thing Embiid has had has been this really good relationship with fans. And then all of a sudden, this week he's getting booed by them. And I think he resents the team because of that. Not, not, the, not his teammates, but the organization, because I think he thinks that they put them in this position. And when you look league-wide, superstars are not, like, are treated differently than other players are. You know, they've, they've, if, through the history of the NBA, the last 40 years, superstars get coaches fired. They get GMs fired. They get players traded. All of these things. And Embiid has not been afforded that luxury. And we can all say, well, he should shut up and deal with it, and he's getting paid $30 million, and yada, yada, yada. But that's not how the league works. And I, I think it is sort of fair of him to look at the, the team and say, you were playing me 37 minutes a game the first half of last year after I have two broken feet, two knee injuries, and a broken face. Um, I think he can look at the team and say, you let J.J. Reddick go for $12 million a year and replaced him with Al Horford, a guy that plays the same position as me and paid him $30 million a year and made my life more difficult. Like, what are you doing? You, you, uh, you fired a GM for publicly talking bad about me on Twitter. and You insisted on keeping his entire front office in place afterwards while I'm still here. You know, that's not how superstars get treated. And I think he's frustrated. And I, I think he's, Look, telling the fans to shut the fuck up is never going to go well. <laughs> There's not going to be a situation <laughs> in which that, that everyone's like, yeah, Embiid, we'll, we'll shut the fuck up. But, um, but I can understand his frustration and where it's coming from. And I think uh, while it seemed like it was directed at the fans, I don't think that's really where it was coming from. Yeah, Spike, that's what I was going to get to is everything you just said might be true. But I still don't like him shushing the fans. I still don't like him saying, shut the fuck up. It still bothers me. And I almost wonder if this is sort of his, uh, his Ricky Waters for who, for what comment, and if he can ever fully come back from this. Well, I, so the, the guy that I think is more similar to is Jimmy Rollin. And Jimmy Rollin had a uh, sort of an up-and-down relationship with fans because he wasn't afraid to be critical of fans. He was perceived as not always showing full effort all the time. 
you know, he, he had a famous quote the, the year they won the World Series, I think it was in August, or he called Philadelphia fans front runners. And like and that was trust me, WIP was was busy for a, a few weeks after that debating that. And every time he didn't run out of ball the first place, but ultimately he won a championship and he won an MVP and everybody loves Jimmy Rollins and that's how it is. I, you know, if, if Ricky Waters had followed up for who, for what, and busted his ass and won a Super Bowl, for who, for what would be a, you know, we would all laugh about for who, for what, uh, the same way that we laugh about the front runner comment. So I, I, and I also don't think that people in the world have the attention span they used to. Uh, and I, I think it'll be, I mean, even you wake up today and, and the shushing thing, like Angela's still mad about it, obviously. And there will be some people that are mad about it. Angela, our morning show host at WIP. And there will be some people that hold a grudge. But I think ultimately people sort of uh, feel the way they feel that day based on whatever happened last night. Sixers beat the Clippers last night. Everybody loves Joel. And, and I think we'll move on. Talking to Spike Eskin, WIP program director, host of Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. You got to check it out. Uh, I understand you, my friend, have a problem with my hometown of Denver, Colorado, having professional (laughs) sports franchises. What's your fucking problem with Denver, the greatest city in the country, Spike, having pro sports teams, dude? Well, I look... I understand that, like that, my my position on this is not going to be met with worldwide um, with worldwide acceptance, and I know that the possibility of what I'm asking for is is limited. But I think the reason that Denver people are so angry about what I've said is that deep down they know that it's true. A home court advantage should not be one team can breathe and the other team can't breathe. That's that's not a fair home court advantage. And if there was a, a venue somewhere, like let's say the Wells Fargo Center where the Sixers play, let's say they pressurized it in a way that the Sixers were able to get used to how the air was in there all week long, but the visiting team was not. There is no possible way we would allow anyone to do that. And I just don't think altitude, when it's been proven over and over and over again, you need over a week to adjust properly to altitude. It's not a mystery why teams have problems going in and playing the Nuggets, like year after year after year after year. It's not a mystery why teams have problems going in and playing against Utah year after year. The truth is, though, that Salt Lake City doesn't have much else, and there's no chance that the Jazz are ever going to win a championship, so I'm not worried about them. Whereas Denver is a good city. People may choose to live in Denver. Uh, The sports teams are are relatively well-run, you know. I, I just don't think that the home field home court advantage of being able to breathe better than your opponents is fair. Um, I think it's actually sort of ridiculous when you think about it. And I think that they should move the nuggets to Seattle and they should become the supersonic. I thought I liked you, dude. That takes sucks. <laughs> if it were that great an advantage, we'd have the Nuggets winning NBA titles. We'd have the that's Colorado Rockies winning World Series. The, the Denver Broncos winning Super Bowls has absolutely nothing to do with the thin air, as you can acknowledge. So where are we seeing that distinct advantage pay off in terms of championships? No, actually, if you look at home versus road splits, uh, like if, if you normalize it based on how good the team actually is and, and home, home advantage for Denver teams versus every other team in sports, Denver has the biggest advantage. Just because they have an advantage 
doesn't mean they're going to win the championship. That, that, it doesn't mean that the advantage is such that it makes it impossible for the other team to play. Like, I, you know, you could put the Warriors, you could say that the, the, you know, the, the Warriors that won three championships over the last, you know, 10 years and say, well, they have to play in Chuck Taylors from 1978, Converse <laughs> Chuck Taylors. Well, there's still a chance they could win a championship, um, even wearing those, even having like a, you know, a deficiency that way. So I, I don't, it's not that I'm saying that it is, it is such an advantage that it makes it impossible for other teams to play. I'm saying it is a, it is beyond the scope of what I think a fair advantage is. Um, and I, I look, I, I realize I like I'm not going to change the world. I, all I'm saying is if, <laughs> if it wasn't true, you wouldn't be so hurt by it. You know, like I've seen you, Dave, right? Like, like, look, Dave Briggs, you look like you're an in shape guy, right? You're a, a, a good looking guy in good shape. If I came up to you and I'm like, Briggs, you are fat. What a fat. So you are, you wouldn't get mad because you know that I, you're not fat. Like, but uh, if you were, 35 pounds overweight, and I said, hey, Briggs, you're fat, so it would really hurt. So that's why Denver people are so mad, because they know I'm right. They, they know that I'm right, and that's why I got death threats when I said this. I was on, they had me on Denver TV station. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Um, one guy threatened my dog to kill my dog on an Instagram comment. So I think that the reason that everybody's so mad is because they, they can't handle the truth. A trend we are seeing spread across the country. And boy, is it a positive trend. We are seeing female coaches hired in all sports. We saw Katie Sowers, coach for the 49ers, in the Super Bowl. We just saw a hire, the first full-time baseball hire of a female coach ever. We also have NBA female assistant coaches. Feels like a trend across all sports. A trend started by Justine Siegel, who is the first female MLB coach ever with the A's Instructional League team back in 2015. And Justine joins us today on Home and Home. Justine, thanks so much for coming on with us. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. How uplifted are you by this trend continuing to spread across all of professional sports? A real positive trend, as as you were stating. But um, it's not just positive for the women um, who want these jobs or the female fans, but I mean, I truly believe that the more diversity there is on the bench, the more likely you are to reach all the players. All right, so Justine, I, I have an int- a question I think is interesting specifically on your sport, which is why baseball and not softball? Like football, I get, but like, I, I'm I'm a little like I, I find it very interesting that your background is coaching baseball rather than softball. Well, I think baseball is the greatest game, and so that's the game I grew up playing. And that's that's what I wanted to coach since I was 16 years old. Um, you know, people often ask girls why do they want to play baseball, but uh, you know, why do boys want to play baseball? Because it's an awesome game. Talking to Justine Siegel, who was the first part-time coach with the A's back in 2015. Alyssa Nakin got hired by the Giants as the first ever full-time coach, and you tweeted. The wall is broken. Um, how, how far do you see this going? Will we see bench coach? Will we see at some point a major league manager? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the Giants hired her, so she's the first woman at the coaching at the major league level. Uh, there were two other coaches hired, um, Rachel Folden 
by the Cubs, Rachel Balkovic by the Yankees this year. They're both um, – well, Rachel Balkovic is actually a full-time Yankees hitting coach just in the minor leagues. Um, so I don't know where this, where this is going to go. Um, I think it's important to get qualified people up in these positions. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I've been on so many different team staffs, and I have players who will come up to me and discuss sort of what they're struggling with and they would not come up to someone else, one of the other guys, whether they're a pro player or not. So I think the more vibes you have out there, the more likely you are to connect with players, and, and that's obviously the point, is to help the team win. Absolutely, Justine. I, I guess my question is, for any of these hires, like, for example, the Redskins uh, just hired the first African-American female coach. Um, when you When these hires happen... How do you balance the perspective of they've earned this position versus some people that might believe that the team is only making the hire for PR purposes or for diversity purposes? Sure. I mean, I think sometimes there is a little PR in it, depending on the person. And sometimes it's just the best hire you can find. But again, I think you have to remember that a female coach is going to come up with it. They have a different perspective because they grew up differently and they've had different opportunities. So that different perspective is what's going to help teams. It's just like we need to have African-American coaches. We need to have coaches who speak Spanish come from, um, so that we can reach all of the players. And interesting, you know, like when I was in Instructs and, you know, every, the guys are 17, 18, 19, and, you know, their mothers are their, are so important in their lives that they're used to talking to women. They're used to talking to their girlfriends. They're used to having women around in, in, a, in a different way that allows them to trust. And I'm not saying that every woman would make a great coach. That's not what I'm saying. But I always considered being a woman an advantage, a tool that I had that the guy next to me didn't. So I had the baseball knowledge and the work ethic and and just all the effort put in and then you put in the fact that I have something that everyone else doesn't, you know, that just, to me, that's, that's a benefit. And the players that I worked with found it as a benefit as well. Talking to Justine Siegel, who coached with the A's organization back in 2015. What was the reception like for you amongst the players back then? A, a male-dominated clubhouse scene. And do you hear from some of these female coaches in various sports today and how the reception may have changed over the years? Sure. Um, well, you know, I started coaching in 2009 when I first broke the barrier with the Brockton Rocks and Can-Am League. I spent three years as an assistant coach at Springfield College with their baseball program. I have a PhD in sports psychology. So it wasn't like I was just coming out of nowhere and taking this job. I actually am a scout school graduate. It took me four years to get the job. Um, you know, and then, and then I have more coaching since then. But um, so it wasn't like, yes, it's shock at first. Like, does she know what she's doing? Yes, she does. Okay, she's part of the team. And so I think, you know, men – Men really just care about, can you make me a better athlete? Can you help me win? Can you help me keep my job? And if you can do those things, that's what they care about. Um, I think that that trend is, is, is going to continue because people are starting to realize that diversity is not just a token. It helps people. It helps teams win. It helps companies you know, make more money.
Justine, I'm curious. You said something interesting. I should have followed up right away that you love baseball. Baseball is the sport. When I asked you, I have a couple daughters, and I, I coach their softball team, which I love, by the way. It's awesome. Um, my question is, what what do you like? What, what's different about baseball and softball? Just throwing it overhand, or are there different aspects of the game? Well, they're really different sports, and 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 one way to sort of amplify this difference is that if we were to turn Major League Baseball into a softball league, people would be like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense because they're obviously different sports. So, so the clear difference is if you're not familiar with softball versus baseball, is that softball has, uh, throws underhand like fast pitch. It's a very quick game. The bases are shorter. The bites are the bats. Excuse me, are are lighter and longer. Um, and it's it's just different. It's it's a quicker game. I in in some ways um, at the highest levels. But um, you know, baseball is what I grew up with. I'm I was a pitcher growing up, high school men's leagues, and you know, there's something about throwing the perfect curveball, you know, that I can't walk away from. I have long thought Becky Hammond, who is an assistant coach with the San Antonio Spurs, will be the first ever to break the the glass ceiling, if you will, as a head coach of a male sport. Do you think we'll ever see a head coach, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, and if so, what sport do you think it's most likely? Yeah, I think Becky is a good choice in basketball. Um, I think there's not that barrier like softball, baseball, where people, you know, they realize that it's not exactly the same sport. And basketball is basketball. I mean, there's, you know, there are obviously some differences, but it's basketball, it's basketball. And again, I mean, I can't stress this enough. Players want to win. Players want to do well. And if you can make that happen, then they're going to embrace you. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. How do you celebrate your fantasy football championship? I guarantee you have never done anything like our next guest. His name is... Daniel Hickson, and you may or may not have seen his viral photos, an engagement-like photo shoot with his fantasy football trophy. Heck, I've never even seen before a fantasy football trophy quite like this one. If you're watching us on the radio.com app, you can see the photo shoot right now, and now you can hear Daniel Hickson. Daniel, thanks for coming on the show Tell us about the fantasy football win and where did you get the idea to have this romantic photo shoot with your fantasy trophy? Yeah. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. Um, before I start, um, as you can see the trophies right here with me, uh, when y'all were talking with Mark Marquette King earlier, um, Ross, you said you had never really heard someone be addressed by two names, Marquette, Marquette, kind of day to day. You know, I go by day-to-day name changes as well you know some days my name is daniel other days i'm suit fam two-time fantasy champion so you know now you've met two people so but yeah you know um first off thank you guys for having me on the show um with the idea i just i give glory to god for it i'm not a very creative person uh if you talk to my friends i'm kind of a vanilla person um but i just give him the credit i think he helped me come up with the idea uh, the idea kind of came where all my great ideas come from, which is the shower. Uh, I was really just taking a shower one day, just kind of deep in my thoughts and stuff. And uh, uh, I had recently won and was just thinking of, hey, how's the best way uh, I can further cement this second win for me in this league? Um, I love fantasy football. I think the best part of it is the um, 
the smack talking, uh, rubbing it in people's faces. Um, so I came up with the idea of, of doing an engagement photo shoot with it. Uh, so I knew I needed, uh, for this, I'm, I was going to need a woman's touch. So I actually, to further uh, cement the showboating, I reached out to my brother's girlfriend, who he's in the league with us, um, and I had her do the photos for me. So she's in College Station at uh, Texas A&M. She drove in. I live in Spring, which is just about 30 minutes north of Houston. Uh, she came in. We went to uh, kind of a park area not too far uh, from my home, and we just did the photo shoots. I kind of had some ideas. I'd done some research. Um, you know, so my age, I'm 23 years old. Uh, when I go on social media, all I see is people getting engaged. So that's kind of where the engagement idea came from. I wanted to kind of come in on the fun. Uh, and so... I kind of had looked around, saw some engagement ideas, some photos I wanted to recreate, uh, kind of had the vision set in place. And then uh, Kayla, she came in and uh, she did an excellent job taking the picture. She is not a professional photographer. She's, like I said, she's just my brother's girlfriend. Um, but we took the pictures. Uh, she did an excellent job um, editing it. Uh, she had like a, an app that she edited it through. Um, and she made the vision go beyond of how I saw it going. So kudos to her. She did an excellent job with this. I really didn't see this really going anywhere. I would joke around with friends or I joked around with a couple of close friends. I kind of kept this under wraps. Uh, my league knew nothing about it. Um, they actually didn't know much about the trophy. This is actually a newly acquired trophy that we got just a few months ago when I won. Um, and I had just revealed it to them at our Super Bowl party. We do our fantasy uh, kind of in the year thing during the Super Bowl. And so just showed it to them then uh, so I knew I needed to wait until after they saw it before coming out with the pictures and stuff. And so, uh, I just put it on social media, put it on, uh, I have a Facebook and Twitter, so I put it on both of those. And on Twitter, I just said, why not? I just tagged Christian McCaffrey and Aaron Jones, who were two players on my team. Uh, and I only, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I only have about 30 followers on Twitter. I am by no means Twitter famous. Um, I have one friend who has a good amount of followers. I thought, Hey, maybe if he retweets it, I can get like 20 likes and call it a day. Um, but about 20 minutes after posting it, Christian McCaffrey retweeted it. Um, and it just went crazy from there. Yeah. So I want to know about the league itself. Like, obviously this is very important to you. So who's in the league and how long you've been in this league? Yeah. So we call our league is called the suit family league. The name just kind of, so, but just a bunch of high school friends, we all played high school basketball together. Um, my senior year, some of us were on the varsity team and the others were like managers on the team. So we were all kind of integrated on the team. Uh, our coach made us read a book called soup and it was some kind of culture net kind of cohesive book about, you know, teamwork and coming together and stuff. And so we were having to read this book and not all of us were kind of wondering why are we reading this book? Um, and all these same guys, uh, we were all, we all played video games together and stuff. And so we needed to come up with kind of a, a clan name, a group name for our video games. And just one of the guys, his name is Zach. He's in the league. Uh, he just combined soup. And at the time, this was around our senior year of high school. This was 2014, 2015. So the word fam was a very much popular word at the time. So we just brought them together and made soup fam. And so that's how the name came to be. Um, yeah, we're a 10 team league. Uh, myself, my little brother, Connor, Tyler, Zach, uh, Joseph, who we call JB, uh, Zach's brother, whose name is Joseph. We got a guy named Yobani, Juan, George, and Riley. So it's just the 10 of us, this league. We're going to be going into our 10th year this year. 
Um, and so we're just, we just, we love kicking each other's butts. Um, we love talking smack, going back and forth. Um, to me, this is what it's all about. Um, I don't really care too much about the money per se. I actually, the money I earned this year in our league, I spent on this trophy. Um, I like to do with the money I win. I like to give it back to the league in some way. Um, because really what fantasy is all about is just competing, um, talking smack and just enjoying just the love of football and join the love of fantasy. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 830 to 1030 a.m. exclusively on the radio.com app or at radio.com slash home. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.